0: Good morning, brethren and friends. It's good to see you, and I'm so glad to be able to speak to you today from the word of the Lord. And if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you have decided to join us. If you're dialing in online as well, we're glad that you're spending your time with us today as we worship the Lord our God. Questions of Jesus. That's our team that we're embarking on for the next couple of weeks. 2000 years ago, the history our world history records a man named jesus who walked the earth and to the world at that time people had different perspectives of who jesus was to some he was an ordinary man just someone else like us to some he was a troublemaker especially for those who were in government and ruling at that time and to his jewish folk who he lived among to some He was a blasphemer, claiming to be the Lord God, and a liar. But to others, however, he was a wise teacher to some. He was a holy man. He was someone who did good amongst the people. He was a prophet, speaking the word of God. But even more so to others, he was their savior. And the world that we live in today is similar. Generally, People across the world today would agree that Jesus was a good man. In fact, the world's second largest religion after Christianity or Bible believers, which is Islam, counts Jesus as one of their holy prophets in their system of religion. And Jesus, to many today, is the face of Christianity. And this face is usually seen mostly during Christmas time, right, in December, where uh, a whole season is dedicated to. Uh, this man uh, called Jesus. And Jesus and Christianity go hand in hand, uh, although his significance may be unknown to many in the world today, who this man really is to the Christian world. And there is a general curiosity across the world about this man named Jesus. If you were to look at Google searches over the past five years on the question of who is Jesus, and you see, Uh, different times in the past five years that there have been a lot of searches, right? And generally about 50%, which is the half half searches of Jesus have been on an interest in this topic. Interestingly, you will see also that the peaks that happen here are during very specific times in the year. And they happen from the month of April to May and November to January, right? And very likely associated with Good Friday, which is around the time of April, May, uh, November, December, Christmas time, January, maybe people are trying to rededicate their life to some sort of uh, spirituality. Right? So it wasn't out of place when Jesus asked his disciples 2,000 years ago in Matthew chapter 16, which is where our sermon, text, the sermon title comes from today. In the region of Caesarea Philippi, this question, who do men say that I am? And more than likely, most people in that region, in that area, from Jerusalem, north to Galilee, and even more, north to Caesarea Philippi, would have heard about this man, Jesus. But as we know from the readings of the Bible, and studying the life of Jesus and his ministry, whenever Jesus asked a question, there was always a point that was going to be made. He doesn't ask questions just for the sake of asking questions. And this question that he asked, and the answers that followed were powerful, not only in and of it themselves, but also because of where this question was asked, which was in Caesarea Philippi. And we'll get, that to, we'll get to that in a moment. But first, before we go into that, let's travel back in time 2,000 years ago to the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 to 19, and we'll read together from there. Verse 13 starts off by saying, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood had not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the question that Jesus asked, who do men say that I am, was already enough to trigger some thought amongst the disciples. But what made this question more powerful was where that question was asked when Jesus was with his disciples. If we take a look at the, where Caesarea Philippi was, and this is a map during Bible times, so during the times of Jesus. You right? we'll see right at the bottom uh, left where Jerusalem was, right? and that's where Jesus was a lot. And then we see in red some other cities that were mentioned in the Bible during Jesus' life and ministry Nazareth, where he was born, Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, right? And then Caesarea Philippi, towards the north. And in today's uh, world map, today, uh, this this area of Caesarea Philippi is near Golan Heights, right, in Israel. And sometimes if you read about the conflict that's happening between the Palestinian region and, and, and Israel, of the conflict happens near the Golan Heights. In about 320 BC, when Alexander the Great's conquest was happening throughout that part of the world, his death started what we call the period of Hellenization, which was the spread of the Greek culture to various parts of Egypt and Syria and the Middle East. And Caesarea Philippi at that time time was, was settled in about in about that time as well and it was built a city at the base of what we call mount hermon and it was built into a cliff what was very interesting about this particular place where caesarea philippi was was that it was originally called peneus or benaius when it was first settled and this was in reference to the greek god pan and some of the, uh, many of us here if you have some sort of exposure to Greek mythology and culture, or watch some movies of sorts. Right, you would have come across this Greek god Pan. Pan was the god of fertility. He was uh, mischievous. Right, uh, I mean, in in folklore, right, and he would go around uh, playing on his flute, right, uh, full of fun. There was a natural spring that was flowing in that area of Caesarea philippi and if you see, um, I'm, I'm pointing with my with my with my uh, laser pointer here, but for those of you who are looking online, there is somewhat of a cave in that picture. There was a natural spring of water that flowed into the cliffs. And this spring was believed by the people to be controlled by Pan, and that the water flowed down into the underworld, where Hades is, the god of the underworld, who was in control. And so because of that, this place here was called Pan's Temple of Pan's sanctuary, or the Grotto of Pan. So this, was a, this is a, a picture of what Caesarea might have looked like during that point of time. And you see the Grotto of Pan, which is built into the cliff. And here is an aerial shot of what it looks like today, ancient Benaius or Panias, and the Grotto of Pan. And you see that spring of water. And so every year, worshippers would come to this spring to ask questions of the gods. And they would ask questions like, Would I succeed in life? Should I make this business deal? Should I marry this person? And what they would do is that they would throw their sacrifice into the water. And if the sacrifice sank and floated, that would be an indication that the gods have answered yes and accepted their sacrifice. If the sacrifice floated on the water, it was not accepted by the gods. Later on during this time, the area was then taken over when the Roman Empire came by Philip the Tetrarch, or Philip II. And Philip was the son of King Herod the Great. You might remember King Herod from the time of Jesus in the book of Matthew, right, where when he heard that there was a newborn king, right, which we read about, he ordered the massacre of babies across the land, um, male babies two years and, un- and under of age. And so after Herod died, Philip was given this area to rule. And this is where the name Philippi is derived from, Caesarea Philippi. The Caesarea that we hear comes from the honor that Philip the Tetrarch gave to Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor at that time. Caesar Augustus was the first official Roman emperor and was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, the Julius Caesar that we read about. When King Herod died, it was Caesar Augustus that gave Philip control of the area. And so hence, the honor that Philip gave Caesar and named that area Caesarea, which is in honor of Caesar. Now, these facts about Caesarea may seem interesting, but the impact of what Jesus asked is further demonstrated because of these historical facts that we've just gone through. After Jesus had asked the question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He then proceeded to ask, but who do you say that I am? And by this time, the disciples who were with Jesus had been with him for a while. They had seen his work. They had seen his ministry. They had seen his miracles. And so that's why Peter, utterly convinced by what he had seen in Jesus, answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood had not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's dive into these two pieces. You are the Christ and you are the Son of the living God. The word Christ there comes from the Greek word Christos or in Hebrew, Mashiach. And this means, as many of us probably are familiar with this word, the anointed one or the chosen one. And it was this same for Jesus that he was anointed by God for a reason. For many, many years, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah to come from the Old Testament days. Prophets had foretold of a Messiah to come that would save the people from bondage and captivity. But they thought that this Messiah was going to save them from earthly bondage, to liberate them and give them independence from an earthly government, from earthly rulers, which at that time, Was of course the roman empire but that was the wrong idea but because the disciples had spent time with jesus and they learned of him and they understood more and more why he was here what he was here to do they understood the big picture so when peter said you are the christ what he was saying is you're the one that the prophets have been talking about you're the one that was supposed to come you're the chosen one, this Messiah, not an earthly king and ruler that would fight a physical war with the Roman Empire, but that Jesus was here to save them from an evil that was more impactful than just an earthly empire. And that was the evil of sin. And so in the disciples' minds now, it clicked what Jesus was here for. And Jesus himself said it in Luke chapter 4 in verse 16 to 21. So he came to Nazareth, this is referring to Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. and We know this to be read from Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1 to 2. He found a place where it was written. And in verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled. In your hearing, Jesus Christ was anointed by God to heal the broken-hearted, those in life who are finding it difficult, who have had disappointments, where things are not going well for them. Jesus Christ was anointed by God to proclaim, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, those who are captive by sins, by sin in their mind, the recovery of sight for the blind healing and set at liberty to those who are oppressed those who feel mentally beat down those who are depressed those who are worried those who are concerned jesus christ was anointed by god to liberate people who are going through this including us and how was this going to happen that was going to happen by jesus preaching the gospel In Greek, the word gospel is euangelizo, which is to announce the good news. The English word that we have today, gospel, is derived from the old Saxon word, good and spell, or good word, or good message. And what was this good news that Jesus was here to declare, to liberate people from their captivity? It was the good news that salvation from sin is now here. See, whatever sin we have in our lives, It's holding us captive in our minds and in our hearts. It keeps us addicted to certain behaviors. It causes us to make bad decisions. It impedes our relationships with others. It keeps us dwelling on our past, not able to move forward. And that's what the gospel is for. To liberate people from this prison of sin that we have in our minds and in our hearts. And the same gospel that Jesus brought to the people in the first century it's the same gospel that we have today that frees us to live a meaningful, purpose-driven life that can be only found in God. Not only is Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, but He is the Son of the Living God. Let's go back to Peter's answer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16. There was another significant reference to the location of Caesarea. You remember Pan's Temple right, that we saw earlier. This temple was later dedicated to Caesar Augustus, the adoptive son of Julius Caesar. And during that time, the Roman emperors were revered as God to the people. Uh, it was also known as an imperial cult, where people would regard emperors and members of their families as gods. And Julius Caesar was recognized as a God upon his death. And this imperial cult continued to flourish during the time of Caesar Augustus' reign. So here was Jesus with his disciples at a temple honoring a Roman emperor, Augustus, a Roman god who was the son of another Roman god, Julius Caesar. But that god was dead. And Caesar Augustus would one day die as well. So here is the contrast between Jesus and this Roman god. That Jesus is not only the Son of God, but the Son of a living God. And because of that, Jesus too will continue to live forever in a spiritual form. What a comforting thought that is for us today. In Matthew chapter 3 in verse 16 and 17, when Jesus was baptized by John, And he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That was the voice of God, the Heavenly Father. And then in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Earthly leaders will come and go. People who we love and trust and respect will leave us one day. But Jesus, he is always with us. And he made that promise to us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 to 20 where he told his disciples to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always unto the end of the age or unto the end of the world. After he has said all these things, And Peter's powerful answer to Christ, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This was yet another reference to the location that they were in. You remember Penn's temple, right? And remember every year how people would go to this spring of water and ask questions of the gods. And throw their sacrifices in and whether or not it sunk or floated was the answer apparently from the gods but these were false gods these were man-made gods and so jesus was making a reference to that that peter's revelation didn't come from a man-made god like all these people who would go to the springs of water but it came from the almighty god who sits on his throne in heaven Today, the world looks to man-made gods for answers to life. Not just in a spiritual sense in terms of different religions, but the small g gods that we serve. People look to these things for answers in life. Riches and money, they think that that will give them answers to life. By uh, serving their careers or their businesses, perhaps they might find some sort of meaning and purpose in life. They seek worldly knowledge. That we have gained from so many many years of academics and and uh, wise people who have gone on before they seek purpose and meaning from celebrities or gurus or businesses and world business and world leaders sometimes perhaps they seek these from their own families as well these things are flesh and blood things of a human nature can give us some answers to life but they cannot give us all the answers to life. Especially the answers that we need the most. The existential questions and answers. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing in this thing called life? Where did I come from? And where am I going to? Only the living God, the heavenly Father, as Jesus calls him, can reveal those things to us because he created us and because he knows our future. In fact, God himself says that in the book of Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 5 to 10. Here's God speaking. He says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we should be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves and they worship. They bear it on the shoulder, they carry it and set it in its place and it stands. From its place it shall not move. No one cries unto it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of trouble. This was a reference to all the sort of gods that men can make today and worship. These gods cannot save you out of trouble. Remember this, God says, and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And just as our Heavenly Father revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Christ, our Heavenly Father reveals all the answers we need to life for us today through his word. As we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 to 17, the holy scriptures, the holy Bible, the word of God, is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be whole or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the event that Jesus spoke to his disciples and asked those questions doesn't end there. Because that confession of Peter, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, was the very foundation of the church that Jesus built. The church that belongs to Christ. The church of Christ. And in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The word Peter there, referring to the Apostle Peter, is the Greek word. Petros. And the rock that Jesus was referring to in Greek is the word Petra. Two different words. So Jesus was saying, upon this rock, this solid foundation, this confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Our entire faith is built upon the fact that Jesus Christ Is the Son of the Living God? He says, "I will build my church." There is only one church, and as we read in Ephesians chapter four, one body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God, and Father of all. Then he says, "The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it." And here's another significance to that location where they were, because the gates in the olden times referred to the entrance of a city. You remember Pan's temple. What was it the gates to that the people believed? It was the gates to the underworld, and that we know as Hades. And so it was thought to be the entrance to the underworld, and the gates of Hades was a symbol that Jesus was using. Peter, upon your confession that I am the son of the living God, I will build my church and no false gods, No earthly kings, no governments, no powers, nothing that is of flesh and blood and sinful and carnal can go against and destroy the church that belongs to Christ. And we need to remember this, brethren, that as long as the world continues to go on during our lifetime, post our lifetime, no matter what wars come or political upheavals, no matter what new social cultures or agendas that come up, no matter what threats or persecution comes to the Christian faith, the church that Jesus died for will continue to go on. Because as we read as we read in Ephesians chapter 5, that Jesus, as the church's spiritual husband, protects it, cherishes it, and is preparing to present us to his father when the world comes to an end. And that is the church that we're a part of today. As we reflect on this passage today and the question that Jesus asked, I would like to turn our attention back to Jesus. Who do men say that I am? Jesus asked. And that is the same question that he is asking each of us today. And I hope that as we walk away from this event that happened 2,000 years ago in Matthew chapter 16, that we walk away with this. Jesus Christ is real. Not only does the Word of God tell us the story of Jesus, but non-religious world history points us to this unique man that lived 2,000 years ago. And the Bible that we have today describes all the proof and the amazing accounts that Jesus is deity, that Jesus is not a mere man, but God on earth. And because He is the living God, the Word of God from the beginning of creation, the Alpha and the Omega, the whole Of everything. And because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is relevant for us today. And we need to pay attention to what He has to say to us. And when we pay attention to what He says, we'll see that He is our Redeemer, redeeming us, buying us back, saving us from the captivity of sin that holds us down today. And He did that by giving His life for us 2,000 years ago. the cross of calvary matthew chapter 20 verse 28 john 3 16 to 17. jesus is real relevant and he is our redeemer and that itself could be a whole other sermon altogether the three hours of jesus right but the question for today is for you and i who do you say that jesus is to you if you're visiting with us and you're curious about who this jesus is we want to let you know We want to talk to you about Him. We want to study the Bible with you. Maybe you have been studying the Bible with us. You've learned about this Jesus. That question is for you today. Will you give your life to Jesus? And for all of us here who are already members of the Lord's Church and the Lord's household, is Jesus still real and relevant for us today? Because He redeemed us. Whatever your thoughts and needs may be, won't you come as we stand and sing the Song of Invitation?